in the Old Testament, God asked a really tough thing of Moses. He wanted him to go up against Pharaoh and deliver the people, the children of Israel, out of the hands of the Egyptians. And before he went, after God asked him to do that, Moses had a question for God. He said, who am I going to tell them sent me? I'm going to go to these people and say, follow me. They're going to want to know why they need to follow me. What do I tell them? And um, God said, you tell them I am, that I am has sent you. The self-existent one. You, you tell them you're following me. You tell them that I'm the one that's going to lead you and them out. And so in the Jewish world, those, that I am was a name for God. When we get to the New Testament, the writer John, in his gospel, portrays Jesus as the Son of God. So when John focuses on different events in the life of Christ, he spends a lot of time talking about some of the miracles. And he talks about seven times that Jesus used this I am statement. We've been walking through those, where he said, I am the bread of life. Where he said, I'm the light of the world, I'm the door. We talked about the idea of that being with the sheep gate. Last week, we talked about the idea of a good shepherd. This morning and the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at the last three statements. And the last three statements, which you need to understand, occurred within about the last two to three weeks of the life of Christ. Because as Jesus' life progresses, what happens is the more that he claims to be God, the more of a target he puts on his back. And this morning, we're going to look at one of his statements um, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You need to know this was a changing point. Because in the ministry of Jesus Christ, what he does that, that precludes this to this story, everything pivots. And now Jesus is, the, the, the religious leaders have to deal with him now. Up until now, they've been able to kind of deal with him but now he does something that makes it where they have to get rid of him um, and so we're going to pick up the story and it's the story uh, of Lazarus um, it's the story of he was a friend of Jesus Jesus is ministering they come to Jesus and they say you need to know that Lazarus is sick and we need you to go and, and, and help him now you think about it for a minute if somebody calls you and ask you to come and help, you pretty much drop everything to go help, don't you? I mean, that's what you do. That's what you do for a friend. I'll never forget when we were remodeling our kitchen, um, I had, uh, I was trying to do the crown molding in the kitchen. And the crown molding had these, these dental teeth in it. If you, you know what I'm talking about if you, if you know molding stuff. And, and, and I, my OCD took over, and, and, and I had to have the, the dental things all line up on the corners. And I had all these corners. And I went through like a whole stick of this stuff and it was expensive and I'm like, and, and honestly, I do, I do not believe you can lose your salvation, but I was really close. And so I never forget, I called my friend, I said, Doug. Now Doug was, Doug was phenomenal with this. Doug, Doug, could, Doug could do those measurements in his head, cut it once and it was on the money. And, and it used to just, and he tried to teach me probably 10, 15 times I'd do it and I'd never do it. But he was really, really good at it. So I called Doug. I said, Doug, I said, I, said, I need you over here now. I said, I, I am fit to be tied. I said, the last part of the project, I said, this is driving me nuts. I know he dropped everything, came over and helped me. And in about two hours, he had the whole thing all done. And all the little dental things in my house are all lined up. 
I mean, all the corners meet and every, it's a, it's, it was amazing. Um, but Doug could do it, I couldn't. But he dropped everything to come. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. And they come to him and they say, Lazarus is sick. They did, you know, Mary and Martha, who were friends of his as well, they need you to come. And, and it's interesting, when you read the background of this story, Jesus doesn't come right away. He waits a day. And when we pick up the story, Jesus is now on the scene. Okay? And that's where, we're gonna, that's where it's going to start. We're going to read a lot in John 11, but just we'll keep going. Hang on. On his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, four days is really important. In the world at this time, they believed, there was a belief, that when a person died, their soul hovered above the body for three days. And that after four days, it was considered a creative act because now all of a sudden, something spectacular had happened. So for three days... In their world, I'm not saying that's the way it is, in their world, because we know as Christians, the Bible says, absent from the body is present with the Lord. So we don't believe that, but that was the culture at the time. So the culture thought for three days, the body kind of hovered around. At the fourth day, finally the body, finally the, the soul left the body. Okay, that's what, so it, says, so it says there that he had been in the tomb for four days. Usually in this culture, you were buried in the first 24 hours. Okay, and even in most Jewish, in most Jewish, places. Uh, they, they buried the body right away. Um, uh, it says, now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. So this gives us another insight. This story is happening really close to Jerusalem, about two miles away, about the distance between here and Climbing Hill. Okay? So this is happening. Now, and Jerusalem, we are, we are gearing up in the next two week, three weeks for Passover. And Passover means that every male 17 years older was heading into Jerusalem for Passover. So you're, it's kind of like the, the week before the Super Bowl. Everybody's starting to move into town and get all geared up for it. And, and, and that's kind of the idea. So everybody's kind of getting geared up for Passover, which is going to be a big deal in Jerusalem. This is two miles away, so it's, it's not that far. So if something happens here, it's going to get there pretty fast. And notice what it says. It says, um, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So as you get to Jerusalem, if you knew Mary and Martha, you were going, hey, I, I didn't know Lazarus passed away. I'm sorry. You know what? Look, we're here a little bit early. Let's just run down there and, and check in with Mary and Martha and let them know we, we're thinking of them. And it says, uh, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Now, this is interesting because normally in the Jewish process of mourning, there was this whole ritual thing where you spent like four days in, in this place and doing this, and then, then there was like another 20 days of this. And so there was this whole system. And normally what would happen is you would kind of, it's, it's kind of like our deal, you know, where we have a visitation and the family shows up and then everybody comes to see the family, right? Well, there was kind of a deal here where the, the, the people who had lost somebody would sit and everybody would come in to, to see them. And so what happens is as they're, as they're sitting, or as they're meeting here, she hears that Jesus is coming. So she goes and leaves the house, and this would have been a big deal, to go outside, and actually outside of the area, to, to, to see Jesus and meet him before he gets into town. And it says, and she went out to meet him, and Mary stayed at home. So somebody was kind of greeting everybody there. Don't be too hard on Mary for this. 
Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here. Now, so I want you to think about this now. She now sees Jesus for the first time. They're friends. Um, and she comes up to him and she says, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Um, this is kind of your fault. Uh, we sent for you when you could have helped. And we love you, but we needed you here like five days ago. Um, but, but, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I think that was her way of saying, I, you know, it's really not your fault, but it kind of is your fault. Um, but, you know, I just want you to know, God, this could have played, played or Jesus, this could have been played out a lot differently had you come when we asked. And notice what happens. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Okay, now, here's what you need to understand about the culture at this time. In, in the religious culture, there are two groups that are often talked about in the New Testament, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Okay? They're both Jewish, but here's the difference. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. The Sadducees did not. So there was a distinction between these two. It was a debate between them. Resurrection, no resurrection. Resurrection, no resurrection. That's why, by the way, it's interesting when they ask Jesus questions, they're actually setting him up. Remember they come to him one time and they said, hey, this guy marries this thing and his wife dies and he marries another person and that wife dies and that wife dies and that wife dies. In the end, whose wife will, whose wife will he have in the resurrection? That was a trick question. Because the Pharisees believed it one way, Sadducees. So it wasn't necessarily, although it was about the marriage thing, it was really a resurrection question. They're setting him up. And so there's that belief. And so Jesus, when Jesus makes a statement, he's kind of taking a position here. Your brother will rise again. And Martha answered. She said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Along kind of the Pharisee route of what they believe. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection, and the life. Now all of a sudden, now she's, he's really, really got her attention now. Okay? And whatever few people are probably standing around there. Notice what he goes on to say. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. You believe in me, you're going to live even though you're going to die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? Okay, now wait a minute. You just told me that if I believe in you, I will live even though I'm going to die, and now you told me that I'm not going to die. Are, are you confused at this point? Because I'm sure she was wondering what in the world. We get it now, because we have like 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection and all these other things. We get it now. But what Jesus was saying is this, look, you're spiritually dead. When you believe in me, you're going to die, but you are now spiritually alive, so now you're never ever going to die. You will always be with me. Um... And then he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? So, Martha, is that what you believe? Notice what she says. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And after she said this, 
She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, this is why I say don't be too hard on Mary. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, so he's still kind of outside the city limits there. But he was still at the place where Mary had, where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her. So in other words, they're there to see her, and all of a sudden she jumps up, and she starts to head out of the house, and they're like, well, I don't know. What, and notice what it says. They were supposing she was going to go to the tomb. They thought maybe she wants to go visit the tomb or the graveside, so let's go with her. And they follow her, and then notice what happens. It says, and when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet and said, have we heard this before? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, this is kind of your fault. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, they said. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Now, you're going to see Jesus on only two occasions that we have recorded in Scripture cry. This is the first. Okay? It tells you something of the empathy. Now, here, I just want to, can I take a rabbit trail for a second? Okay. Jesus is God, right? He knows that he's going to raise Roger, right? So why is he crying? He loves Lazarus, and he cares about Lazarus, but I don't think he's crying for Lazarus. I think he's crying because, this is my rabbit trail theory, not Bible, my opinion. I think he's crying because he sees the result and the impact of sin on people because we die because of sin. This isn't the way he originally set it up. But because of sin, death now comes into the picture, and now he is faced face-to-face -face with the reality of how sin and death has impacted all of these people, and he is weeping because he's as brokenhearted over it as they are. I think that's, by the way, the other reason that he cries the other time when he starts to realize what these people are going to go through when the temple's destroyed. And I think there's an empathy on his part. And then he goes on, notice what he says. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. See, I think they missed it completely. They thought it was all about Jesus and Lazarus. But some of them said, could he not, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, again, so now what are they saying? You know what? This is kind of his fault. I mean, if he is who he says he is, he could have, like, stopped this. You know, God, you could have done this a whole lot differently. This didn't need to happen. And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone that had laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Okay. And again, some of you have seen a picture where the stone rolls. It may have been that. It may have been just a hole in the ground like a cistern with a lid over top of it. Um, it may have, you know, there's all different kinds of ideas, but the idea is it was sealed up. And notice what it says. Martha now. I love this. I love, I love how authentic the scripture is on stuff like that. Martha, 
the sister of the dead man said, uh, by this time, there's a bad odor. Uh, he's been down there four days. Uh, Jesus, I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but this ain't going to smell good. Are you really sure this is what we want to do? Why? She can't see anything past what has happened. She's, she's stuck in the past. He's dead. He's never coming back. Blah, 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 blah. And, and all of a sudden now, Jesus says, okay, to, and, and I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know if they're sitting there thinking he wants to see him like one last time. You know, I don't know what they're thinking here. And, and, and Jesus says, okay, take the, take the stone off. And, and Martha goes, uh, that's a bad, this thing is going to stink to high heaven. This is like pulling the lid on a septic tank. You do not want to be around. Okay? And notice what happened. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, it's almost one of saying, okay, Lord, just so everybody understands this is you working through me, I want everybody to know I'm asking you to do something here. So, again, so that God gets the glory. And then notice what happened. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Now, we lose this, but I want you to stop for a minute, and I want you to put yourself in this scene. He's been in that tomb for four days. You've been mourning his loss. You were brokenhearted for Mary and Martha. You have followed them to the tomb, and now this guy is asking for the stone to be taken away, and now this guy is talking to dead people. And he says, Lazarus, come out. I love the scripture. <laughs> the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, which is the way they would, kind of a mummy thing. And a cloth around his face. So this guy comes out doing this thing. And these people are standing there. And now, I, I think we lose this. By the way, it's interesting. In this story, they have to unwrap him. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he unwraps himself and lays it there. That's significant. But he comes out all wrapped up. And I think what happened is people are in such awe. They're just standing there with their mouth dropped. And Jesus has to look at him and go, um... Unwrap him. Unwrap him. Don't, don't just stand there. Go help that guy. Because they are so overwhelmed, I think, by what they're seeing. Now, you need to understand that if you're in this culture, and you're two miles away from Jerusalem, and the focus is Passover, and all of a sudden, two miles away, it's a dead man walking, Whew. 
Now, all of a sudden, everybody's not talking about Passover. Everybody's talking about a resurrected Lazarus. Everybody's talking about a man who calls himself Messiah, who has raised the dead. And from this point on, read John 11. From this point on, there's a mark on his back. Because you see, if you have that kind of power and ability, people are going to follow you. They're not going to follow us. And if you're the religious leaders and you're the leaders of the day, your entire livelihood is now threatened. So you've got to get rid of this guy and you've got to get rid of him fast. And that's why you're going to see that things radically change in the, the progression towards getting rid of Jesus. Because if you're a Sadducee and you don't believe in a resurrection, now you've got you to get rid of that guy Lazarus and you've got to get rid of that guy Jesus because he's going against everything that you know. So that's the story behind this idea of I'm the resurrection and the life. Okay? So a couple of ideas and, and takeaways and things I think that, that, that are important for us as we kind of try to make some application for it um, for us. Here's the first thing. Resurrection is about life, not about death. Resurrection is about life. Now, that seems simple. But you see, what you need to understand is that when something or someone is dead, they don't respond. There's no response. Okay? That's, we call it death. When it comes to your spiritual life, you were born spiritually dead. What that means is that you can't respond spiritually. Now, you can try. You can try to do a bunch of good things, but you're spiritually dead. You can go to church every week, but you're spiritually dead. You can, you can, you can give all kinds of money to all kinds of people and organizations, but you're spiritually dead. None of that makes any difference to God. Why? Because you're spiritually dead. The resurrection takes that which is dead and now gives it life. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's saying is this. If you will follow me, if you will put your faith and trust in me, bread of life, light of the world, good shepherd, door, you will put your faith and trust in me as a resurrection and life. I will make you spiritually alive now. I will now allow you the ability to have a spiritual life, to have a spiritual dimension. We're in a world in which we throw this term spirituality around a lot. But in a biblical context, to be spiritually alive means that you have the Holy Spirit in your life leading and guiding you. That you have the ability now to please God spiritually because there is a spiritual life. Lazarus in the tomb was dead. When he comes out, he is now alive and can respond. And in the same way, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what he's talking about is the idea that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you now have a spiritual life, a new nature. We talked about this. God is in the process of transforming you. God is in the process. So now, before... Before, you, when you were spiritually dead, life was all about you. Now that there's a spiritual dimension to your life, life is about trying to please God. Trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ. 
trying to deal with that which God deals with, that God wants me to live. So in this world, in this world, as spiritually dead, you hurt me, I hurt you. It's the way it is. Eye for eye, two for two. But all of a sudden when there's a spiritual life, you hurt me, I turn the other cheek. You want to you take $10 from me? I'll give you 20 It's the Beatitudes. That's what Christ taught. You want to curse me? In that world, I cursed you. You want to curse me? I'll bless you. You want to be my enemy? I'll pray for you. I'm now spiritually alive. Now all of a sudden I start to see things from a spiritual perspective. Why? Because of the resurrection. That which is dead is now spiritually alive. So one of the things when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, what he's talking about is he allows us to all of a sudden now become and have a spiritual dimension to our life. Second thing, the resurrection is a person. It's not a force, it's not an entity, it's a person. It is personal. You heard me say this over and over again. Look, Jesus, following Jesus is about a personal relationship. It's, about, it's not about this entity or force or this thing. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In my world, I have a front row seat to life. I see people at their best, I see people at their worst. I watch families go through incredible, you know, I'm fortunate where, you know, um, I'm the one who gets a call to say, hey, look, we just had a baby. Hey, look, we just had this, and, and we're celebrating this, and, and, and I get to be a part and see some of that, or, or do a baby dedication and, 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 and things like that, or, or a baptism, and I get to be a part of some of those really great events, or somebody calls and says, hey, would you marry us, and, and you get to be a part of all of that, and that's awesome. Those are so exciting, but I also see life on a front row seat at the end, too, when people are struggling, when, when a simple thing as a breath is a big deal, when um, people are coming to the end of that journey of life, and, and, and here's what I've observed, um, I don't care what you have, I don't care how much you made, I don't care your title or your stuff, when you get to that end point, People want people. They, they, they want somebody with them holding their hand. They want somebody in the room. They want a person. I, I've never heard somebody look at me and say, oh, if you could just park my combine outside the window so I could see it one last time. <laughs> I haven't, you know. You know, if you could just bring the motorcycle by so I could, I could just like sit on it one last time, then my life will be fulfilled. I, I just don't see that. I see people who maybe want to take one last ride or get on a boat one last time or take that one last camping trip. I see that kind of stuff, but, but not at the very end where they go, bring me that thing. It's about people. Because God designed us that way. And, and, and I want to challenge you to understand that the resurrection is a person. It's about having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Because people... That, that, that connectedness is so important. 
Not only that, not only do you see the idea of the, of the, the resurrection being a person, it has this, this idea or this concept of, of life. But here's what you see in the story, and you see this over and over and over again. Jesus focuses on the present and the future. They focus on the past. The, the thing about the resurrection that, that, that I love is, is it gives me the ability to handle the present and a hope for the future. The resurrection doesn't focus on your past. I mean, how many times did we read it here? They see Jesus the first time and said, you know what, five days ago. Had you been here five days ago? Let's talk about five days ago. And what does Jesus say? Let's not talk about five days ago. Let's talk about right now. And then Mary comes. Oh, let's talk about five days ago. And she's going, no, let's talk about right now. And the crowd going, you know what, let's talk about five days. And Jesus going, no, let's talk about now. And even when Jesus tries to do something in the present, they drag up the past. He's been in there for four days. Don't do that now. He's been in there four days because God had such a bigger picture. And I see this so often with believers in particular who they want to spend all the time living in the past. Oh, I can't serve God because of this. Or I can't do this because of this. Or if you only knew that. Or if you only knew that. Or why did God let that happen? Or, I, you know, if God would have done this, then it would have played out so different. I wouldn't have had it. Look, stop. Look at where you are right now. Because right now, God will give you the grace and the strength for today and the hope for tomorrow. That's the resurrection. And the more time you want to spend looking at the past, beating yourself up over the past, dwelling in the past, the less you will be able to go forward. I personally think you're just like in the days coming when... There's going to be ice out there, and you're going to get on a patch of ice, and you're going to spin your tire, and you ain't going to go anywhere. And I see people who spend all of their time and energy talking about what had happened, what, what was, what, 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 what in the past, instead of moving forward. Instead of, what does Jesus do? He comes on the scene. Oh, if you'd been here five days ago, you could have fixed it. No, I can fix it now. Let's deal with today. Um, let's, why don't you take me to the tomb? Okay, good. All right, take the stone off. Oh, we can't do that. Don't you know four days ago we put him in there. It stinks now. Don't do that. No, you take the stone away. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. And what does Jesus do? Right off the bat, what does he say? Let's deal with the present. Hey, unwrap him. Unwrap him. Why? Because that's the thing about the resurrection. It gives you the ability, the grace, the truth, the strength for today. And it gives you a hope for a future. You see, that's, that, that, you see this over and over and over again in Scripture. And, and my challenge to some of you is, be careful about getting stuck in the past. You know, in our house, we call it the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. You know? Let me ask some. Those of you who are parents. And your kids are out of the house now. Would you have done anything different? Sure. We all would have. Why? You want to spend the rest of your days talking about that? No. No. When you get the opportunity, you take your past and you use it as an example to help others. 
So I look at my kids and say, this is what your mom and I did. Don't do this with your kids. You know, this is what we would do differently. When I'm counseling couples in marriage who are getting ready to get married, I say, this is what Gina and I learned. This is what we would do different. I'm not going to beat myself up over it, but I'm going to sit down and I say, this is, what, this is where we struggled. This is how we solved it. This is what we would do today. This is what you should do. Now, you go out and mess up your own life, but you've been told how to do it right. Okay? Because why? Because that's what we do. The past is, it helps us as we are in the present and the future. Not to beat ourselves up over it. And every time G, they come into conflict with Jesus, the first thing they do is they want to deal with, you know what? You, this could have been so much different if you would have done this different. Jesus doesn't let them play that game. Because the resurrection is about the present and the future. Not, it, doesn't, it takes a past, and it, it, those of you who are believers, your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's been buried in the depths of the deepest sea. God will not bring it to your account. He will not hold it up in front of your face. But Satan will do that every single day. And you decide which one you listen to. You decide whether or not you look at God who says, I've removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. I bear it in the depths of the deepest sea. Or whether you bank on this idea of letting Satan win by bringing up your past. And you can't do that. You can't do that. The resurrection gives me a focus and a help, a help for the present and a focus for the future. And the last thing is this idea. The resurrection is permanent. It's interesting, when Jesus it's hard to translate into English. But when Jesus looks at him and says, those who believe in me will never die, it literally, in the, in the language in which he said this, it's like, those who believe in me will never, ever, 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 never, ever, no way in the world ever, never die. They are mine. This is a permanent thing. We believe in the eternal security of believer. We personally believe. I personally believe the Bible teaches that, kind of like what we were talking about in Sunday school in the morning, it was a one-way covenant that God made with mankind when it came to salvation. When he said, I will forgive your sin. I will make you my child. Done deal. Can't undo it. You genuinely put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The resurrection is a permanent thing. Um, do I love this world? I do. I, I enjoy this world. I enjoy the things. I, I enjoy getting on my bike. I enjoy getting out and working yesterday. I enjoy spending time with my family. I enjoy been, spending time with my church family. I enjoy, I try to take and get as much out of every day as I can. But you know what? I ain't hanging on to this place real tight. Because this is temporary. My real home, my real world, is with Christ forever and eternity. This is just a stopping place. This is just a camping spot. And I look forward to the day that I meet loved ones and family and friends. People who I have buried. People who I have stood at their graveside. I look forward to the day that it is, we get to meet again. And that's because of the resurrection and life. And I believe that God wants us, just like we talked about last week, not just to live life, but to live life abundantly with purpose and with meaning and with gusto. And you, you, you enjoy that which God has provided for you. You don't take it for granted. 
You're able to look at a sunset and look at a sunrise and appreciate it and enjoy it. You're able to watch this incredible thing called creation play out in front of you every single day. You know? I mean, I, I don't get the whole chicken and egg concept, but the fact that I go down there and there's 11 eggs or 10 eggs every day, it's, odd. it's just amazing to me. And I'm like, I mean, I don't like eggs. Okay? I don't eat eggs. Okay? So when Gene's like, you know, how many of you would eat this? Not me. You know? But I mean, just a simple thing that, that, that uh, like that, a simple thing that, that God has provided so much for us. We, we, we walk into our house and decide what temperature we want it. And our spouse comes along and changes it. And then we change it back. And we play that game all day long. You know? Uh, we got cars. You know, we're in cars that, we're in cars that we heat the seats. I have friends that have motorcycles that the hand grips are heated. I'm like, if I got to heat hand grips, I ain't riding. We're in this incredible world. We can get so, so, so much. Life abundantly. You know, and, and, and I step back at it and I look at it and I say, you know what? When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's offering us an incredible way to be able to live spiritually and be spiritually alive. So, two ideas. First idea is this. You're spiritually dead or spiritually alive. If you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I don't care how nice a person you are, I don't care how moral you are, I don't care what hoops you've jumped through. The Bible says spiritually you're dead. And God offers you eternal life, abundant life, a spiritual life, if you'll say yes. He's not going to force it on you, but he's going to offer it to anyone. You go, you don't know my past. You don't know my God. My God is willing to offer and take care of all of that. All you have to do is say yes. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, and it's not a personal resurrection, it's not a personal God, I want to challenge you to do that. For me, I, you, go, you go, how hard, you know, what, what, what I got to do, like join something or sign up or, or, or do, here's how, here's how it goes. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Lord, as best as I know how, I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come in my life. I want you to be my Savior. I want that personal relationship with you. Lord, save me. The Bible says, Whoever does that, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Not might be, not could be, not hopefully will be, shall be. Done deal. You go, it's got to be more complicated than that. Why would God make it more complicated than that? Why? He wants as many people into his kingdom as well, but he's not going to force you into it. And he's, If you decide you want to live in your, dead in your sin, in your, then, then, then that's how you're going to live. And when you die, you die in your sin, and you stand before God with your sin. And God and sin don't mix. Or you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you become alive spiritually and God takes care of your sin. Once for all, past is past. And it's a whole new way to live. Spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Second thing is this. For those of you who are spiritually alive, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Can I challenge you this morning with this idea that sometimes we come up against stuff and we think that God doesn't care, God doesn't love us, 
that situation is hopeless? I would challenge you to see if it's possible for a believer to be up against a hopeless situation. Because the Bible's filled with hope. The Bible's filled with grace. The Bible's filled with ability. And some of you are going through some really tough stuff right now. And you need to know, the resurrection gives you hope that God will give you the grace and strength to deal with whatever it is you have to deal with. We have people in this church who've gone through some horrendous things. Things that would normally just blow up the world of anybody who was going to them. But they will tell you, in some cases it has been day by day, in some cases it's been hour by hour, in some cases it's been minute by minute, where God has provided them the grace and the strength to take the next step. And they have gotten through it. Why? In the resurrection of life. I can give hope when people think it's hopeless. I can give grace and strength when people say, I'm too weak, it's too much. Why? Because I'm the resurrection and the life. And I want to challenge you to be careful about beating yourself up over the past. There's not a one of us here that wouldn't do something different if we got the chance. I can't, do, I can't undo the past. All I can deal with is where I am right now, today and what's in the future. So I don't beat myself up going, well, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and da, 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 da. I, I look at my kids and I go, look. In our world, my wife and I really messed it up financially in the beginning. And so I looked at my kids and said, let me tell you something. The killer for us for almost 20 years was credit card debt. So I'm going to teach you, I'm going to show you how to not get into that trap. Now, you do with it what you want. But this was a, this was a, this this was this sucked a lot of energy out of our marriage, and it it brought a whole lot of grief and hard times that we didn't have to go through had we done it differently. So do it different, kids. You know, and that's what I say. I used my past to help them in in, in our present and in the future. But I'm not going to beat myself up over it. You know, would I do it differently? Yeah, I'd do it different. We'd all would. But some of you allow Satan to play that game with you, and, and it's keeping you from going anywhere. It's keeping you from doing anything. Don't let that happen. Resurrection brings life. Resurrection brings, and, and this idea of life abundantly, purpose, purpose-focused kind of life. Life that's much bigger than about you. So I just want to challenge you. So I end it with this. As Jesus deals with all of this, here's... here's Here's what it says. The resurrection is not about the future, is not just about the future. It provides hope, encouragement, and strength for the present. It's not a force or a concept. It's based on a real present relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, who will never leave you. It provides hope to hopeless situations and perspective to this temporary thing that we call life. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, for those this morning who, <clears throat> Lord, good people, they love you, they're trying to do what's right, they're here today. But Lord, spiritually, they're, they're dead, Lord. There's no spiritual life because they have not put their faith and trust in you. Would you help them? Would you help us to help them understand how important that is? Lord, for those of us that have put our faith and trust in Christ, Lord, we're spiritually alive, but Lord, we struggle because... We come up against things where we allow Satan to influence us and, Lord, to, 
to bring up our past, to get us to think certain situations or circumstances are hopeless. Lord, would you give us the courage and the strength to look to you? And Lord, when you ask the difficult things, may we still be willing and open and honest to follow you. And Lord, when it's all said and done, may people see Christ in our lives and in the situations we face every day. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's.